Hey guys, Brian Jodis here with another episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at Naked Warrior Recovery. In fact, we're going to talk to their founder on this episode. His name is William Branham. He's a Navy SEAL and he started a CBD company. They're supporting mental and physical recovery. Again, we're going to talk about what their product is, what it does, and his why, plus his amazing career in the Navy SEALs. But we've got a discount code for you guys. Before that, so go to nw-recovery.com, that's nw-recovery.com, hit the shop, pick up some product, and use the code PUT6, PUT6, that's the number six, pick up the six, and you're going to save 20% off today. How about that? All right, let's get into our conversation. The mission of Naked Warrior Recovery is 22 to zero. Picking up the six for veterans in our country means taking that number 22, what the Department of Veteran Affairs says is the number of vets who take their own lives every day, taking that number 22 down to zero. William Branham aims to do that through the Naked Warrior Recovery. He's a Navy SEAL and he joins me on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. William, what's up, brother? Hey, how's it going? I'm stoked to be here. Me too, man. I am thrilled to have you any day. I get to bring a seal on the show. It's always a fun day. You get to know you a little bit, man. Get our listeners a chance uh, to know you and then talk about the critically important work that you are doing now. Uh, what I often refer to as sort of mission two, right? For a post-military guy who spent 26 years in the service, what's the rest of it look like after that? And that's what you're doing through Naked Warrior Recovery. We're going to talk about the name, which is cool and what you're doing there as well. But 26 years of service, man, absolutely incredible. Thank you for that. What led you, you on the road to the Navy, and not just the Navy, but right the elite, the Navy SEALs? So I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi. I was heavily involved in the Boy Scouts, and the Navy was the absolute last service that I would join, period. My entire family was in the Navy. Uh, you know, there was a Naval Air Station right there in in Meridian. And, you know, honestly, the, the kids that come through there after boot camp to go to their technical school, they're kind of a bunch of idiots running around in the mall and stuff. And I'm like, and they had like the ugliest uniform. So the Navy was completely <laughs> off the table. I'm like, I will not be riding on a boat somewhere or do anything like that. So, um, but, you know, I was, you know, in the Boy Scouts, I liked being outdoors, I was a lifeguard, you know, at, at Boy Scout camp. I also taught on the rifle range. I liked hunting. I liked playing capture the flag and other things where we run around in the woods. And so I always knew that I was going to be some sort of a commando of sorts. I just didn't know mm -hmm. what that meant. Yeah. You know, when I grew up, I had I had four channels, you know, and two knobs to get to, to all four of those channels. And there if was the president no was on, you were screwed. You couldn't watch right. it. Yeah, exactly. That was yeah, you were you're pretty much in lockdown. Yeah. Um, but I had, you know, some, I guess, role models growing up. And, you know, that was like John Wayne in the movie uh, Green Berets. He was mm -hmm. a Green Beret in that movie in Vietnam. Uh, Chuck Norris, he was in Delta Force, whatever that is, air quotes there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then John Rambo, who's made a career out of being, you know, John Rambo. And he was an Army Ranger. So all of these guys, they were part of some sort of small elite tactical unit in the military. And that's what I wanted to be. That's like that that's all I could conceptualize being when I grew up. So I was just trying to figure out as I'm like in high school, trying to figure out, do I join, am I going to be an army ranger, maybe a green beret? I don't even really know what that means. 
would I join like, or, you know, maybe the Marine Corps, they have like the Marine Corps scout sniper, which is the sound super sexy. Uh, and the Marines, you know, they fight, they were fighting dragons on the recruiting commercials on TV <laughs> with swords, swords and everything. And that was like, that was super cool. Um, and then I was at a boy scout jamboree and one of the, like the sister troop that we went with, uh, he was talking about that, you know, when he, you know, grows up, he wants to fly F-14 Tomcats and he wants to be a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, OK, that sounds cool. What is that? And so he explained like Navy SEALs, they're like the elite of the elite. They're like Green Berets and Army Rangers, but better. And sorry for all you Army people that might be listening. Um, but and we can have that discussion as well. Sure but thing, uh, sure. <laughs> um, but they, you know. But they, you just, he said, you know, they, they jump out of airplanes, they blow stuff up, they scuba dive. And I think the scuba dive thing is what really got me because mm, I watched, yeah. you know, National Geographic and like cruising around like coral reefs and stuff. And I liked the water. I liked the water. Um, I still like the water just in a different way now, mm -hmm. not the way that I thought I did before. Um, and, you know, they shoot guns and they, you know, they're the small elite of the military. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And but unfortunately, I had to join the Navy to do that, um, which was completely against what I wanted to do. But, you know, uh, I, I went on this jamboree. I came back and this was my the, my let's see, just before I started my senior year of high school. And <clears throat> the Navy recruiter just happened to call uh, my grandmother's house where I was staying at the time. And he was like, hey, have you ever thought about joining the Navy? And if you'd have called me like. I was like, if you'd have called me like, like six weeks no, ago, yeah, hundred percent. No, but um, yeah, I want to be a Navy SEAL and I want to be an F-14 fighter pilot. Like those two things sound pretty sexy. They sound pretty cool. So that's what I want to do. Uh, he was like, cool, come on down to the recruiting station. You know, let's, let's have a chat. And so they showed me this really bad uh, movie uh, about Navy SEALs and recruiting and uh, you know, jumping out of planes and blowing stuff up. And I was like, yep, that's what I want to do. Where do I sign? How do I get there? They're like, hold on easy there. So I took the ASVAB uh, and I joined the Navy before I even started my senior year of high school. So I, and then, you know, throughout my senior year of high school, I knew that I was going to join the Navy. I graduated. And then from there, I went, went off the boot camp. Um, while I was in boot camp, I did not pass the, the screening test. And so I had some, um, I had three years of trying to figure out how to get back to in the SEAL pipeline. Uh, I had to ride on a big gray ship for a couple of years in mm -hmm. Yokosuka, Japan. I made some tactical errors, but eventually I got myself to SEAL training. And you know, uh, guys, it, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not just here to be in the regular Navy. Remember, like this is the guys. <laughs> yeah, and by so by the way, the folks in the regular Navy are doing incredible stuff. But you're like, I'm not really. They do, and that's that. what, and that, and that's kind of the story. So I, yeah. so I went to my technical school. I was one of those idiots that I was hated when I was in high school. You know, in Meridian, mm -hmm. um, you know, in my uniform at the mall, going to movies and just being stupid. Uh, I should have taken the screening test, the SEAL screening test again and gotten a, you know, been gotten approved to go to BUDS at the end of that technical school, but I was ranked high enough in the class. I took another school to work on missile launchers uh, for Tomahawk missiles. And, you know, basically it was a four more month, it's a four month school. I thought I'll take that school, I'll get in better shape, then I'll go to SEAL training. Well, what I didn't know is I had 24 months of obligated service mm. to a ship in Yokosuka, Japan, because I took that school. And then because I took that school, when my time was up, I was calling the guy who was going to, you know, either send me to my next assignment. And I was like, I want to go become a Navy SEAL. He's like, you, that's great, but I'm not going to let you go because you're too critical to the Navy because of the school that I took. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so 
I got letters of recommendation. I passed, you know, I did all the screening stuff. I did all the medical stuff. I'm like ready to go. My package is submitted and my detail, the guy is still like, no, 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 no. And uh, so I'm not okay with that. I'm like, this is why I joined the Navy. And so the chief of Naval operations, and for those of you who, you know, kind of don't know the military, the chief of not, uh, Naval operations, he's the most senior guy in the Navy, period. There is no one more senior to him. The only people that are more senior to him is the secretary of defense and the president of the United States. So not even the joint chiefs, right? Like no, he's got no. that level. Pretty serious. Yeah. He's it's at the, the top. And so he came to my little ship in Yokosuka, Japan. There was a lots of ships there. And he came to my ship. He didn't come to any other ship. And he had CNO's call. He's like, you know, he's like, this is my vision for the Navy and blah, blah, blah. And so does anyone have any questions? And I raised my hand. I was like, like yeah, yeah, right this here. guy over here does over here. Ooh, ooh pick me. And he called on me and I was like, I, and I said, I joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. I think I deserve a chance to go. My detailer won't let me go. And, uh, and I think I deserve a chance. Yeah. And he turns directly to my commanding officer and he said, is he a good guy? And fortunately I kind of, people prepped me. They're like, Hey, you should ask him because he has, he's a common sense leader. And so, uh, and I also told my commanding officer that I was going to ask him and he was like, okay, go for it, man. I, yeah. I got you back. Yeah. And so he's like, is he a good guy? And, and my commanding officer said, yeah, he was the sailor of the quarter this quarter, which is like employee of the month. And so um, he turns back to me and he says, check, you'll be in the first class after your PRD, which is planned rotational date. Six weeks later, I'm off to California to, uh, to SEAL training. Dude, what a crazy kind of so it, turn of events. It took me man. three years. Yeah. It actually took me four years from the, from the day, from the time I joined the Navy in the delayed entry program to get to SEAL training. So that was sort of a lesson in like, of, of never quitting. Like you have yeah. a goal, you have a purpose, you have a mission, keep going. You're going to have roadblocks. You're going to have failures. You're going to have things that are going to stop you, but you just have to keep grinding. You have to keep going. You have to keep like, keep that, that mission, that thing that's driving you mm -hmm. in, in sight and keep going until you get there. And when, and when you get there, you got to find a whole new mission. Totally. But then also when the opportunity presents itself, like who has the opportunity for him to come onto your ship of all the places right. he could be. And yep. the mindset was, it sounds like to me, what you're saying is like, I'm not going to look back on this and be like, I should have just said something. I should have. Right. No, put my hand I live a life with regret. Yeah. 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 No regrets here. Let's live life. And like without those regrets. I love it. That's a great, great story, man. Uh, thanks for sharing that with us. So you get to head off to SEAL training, right? End yep. up in BUDS class 207, if my research is correct. You're close. So I started in I started in class 205 and I got hurt. And then I rolled into class 206 and I got hurt. And then I rolled into class 207 and I graduated hell week. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I never healed up from the injury from class 206. I, we don't even know what was wrong with me. Just my leg, my knee wouldn't work if I tried to stand on one leg and bend it. I would just collapse like there was no strength wow. in it. So I was just yeah. hobbling through through SEAL training which you can totally do. Clearly I did it. Anyone can do it. Um, and, and so I like, there was, they were going to kick me out. Like, they're like, you clearly are not prepared for this. So they were going to kick me out. And I was like standing there crying, you know, telling my sob story about if I leave, I may not have a chance to come back. Please don't kick me out. And so they let me stay. So I knew I didn't have another chance. Like my, like, this is my silver bullet right here. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so they, they rolled me into class 207. I didn't have a, an opportunity to not perform. So my back was against the wall. I had to perform. 
I couldn't run. I couldn't perform like I was capable because I was injured, but I just went anyway. I was taking, I think I was taking, uh, 1600 milligrams of ibuprofen three times a day, at three least times a day, three times a day. My Ooh. liver's probably like, Oh, you oh yeah, are, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, you know, just because, because I was you injured and, and you it's, it's, yeah, it's you, you know, you're pretty beat up going through that training and, uh, and, you know, getting, I had no option to not make it through. So I had to just go through it. And so I, I limped, I gimped all the way through first phase through hell week. And then because, and then something happened in hell week, I don't know what, but my leg started working again. Like, awesome. I can perform and I'm going to crush this thing. And then because I had been limping for the last nine weeks, uh, that I had, I had, you know, acquired stress fractures on my other leg. Yeah. And so I went to medical. I'm like, Hey, if you're not going to roll me, then I will just keep going. And they, you know, kind of sent it up the chain of command. And so they rolled me into class 208 and I graduated from class 208. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So long story to, no, like, so no, but I was, you know, at, I, you know, budget six months long and I was there 13 months to the day that I graduated 13 months, exactly to the day from the day I checked in. Uh, so we'll, uh, choosing to, uh, once again, <laughs> take the road less traveled and not the easiest way to get from <laughs> A to B for sure. <laughs> but you still said once that buds and seal training was easy. Why did you it say is. it was easy? It, it's easy because um, it, it, it's difficult to do, but it, let me rephrase that. It's simple. Buds is simple. It's not easy. It's simple. Uh, all you have to do, you have two choices. You have one choice. You either uh, you can quit or you can keep going. That's choice number one. And if you choose to keep going, you have another option. You can keep going and be mediocre or you can keep going and be awesome. And so and this was especially true during hell week because hell week is just a five and a half day grind of you're cold, you're wet, you're miserable. You're carrying the stupid boat around on your head. You know, most guys come out of there a few weeks later, they lose their hair kind of like me. And uh, because, you know, you're just like sand and boat and rubber rubbing on your head. Um, it's not awesome. It's like, you know, hammering your neck, you're running. Uh, and unless you have done it, it's really hard to really truly appreciate the pain that it is. And you have to like kind of run together in a seven man boat crew. Everything is a race. And there are, you know, they, you don't, you don't sleep at all. Actually, they let us sleep for about two and a half hours, which was probably the worst punishment they could have done to us. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I woke up, I was like, I had stopped moving and like inflammation started to set in to like repair all the broken stuff that was going on with my body. And I was like, and I was finally warm and dry for like the first time in like four days. And so uh, then they, we, you know, we came back out from that, like, they're like, don't go to sleep. And of course we're all going to go to sleep because we haven't slept for a super long time. And then they're like, okay, hit the surf. And that was the, the one time where I was like, I do not want to get in that cold ocean again. So I grabbed myself, you know, physically grabbed my shirt and I threw myself into the water and, uh, and I got up after that, I was good to go. But but, you know, during hell week, you know, everything, it pays to be a winner. Everything is a race. But if you're not willing to, as a boat crew, if you're not willing to race, and we found that a lot. So the boat crew that I got into, because I saw they were winning, I was like, you know, Monday afternoon of hell week, people were, you know, enough people quit. They rearranged the boat crews and boat crews are set up in a height line. And I noticed that this boat crew, boat crew three was winning you know, Sunday night and all day Monday, the instructors didn't notice that 
most other people didn't notice it. I noticed it because I had guys in my boat crew that were quitting they didn't want to be there. They were just like, what, what's the point of like working hard? We're just going to get punished again. I'm like, the point is to win. That's the point. And so, and you don't want to be here. I've been here for like six months already. I'm, I'm trying to graduate this thing. Yeah. So you need to move out of my way. So it's simple. You can either, uh, you can either quit or keep going. And if you decide to keep going, you can either be mediocre or be awesome. And I chose to be awesome. So I got myself into that boat crew, boat crew three, and we won almost every single race in hell week. The instructors finally noticed us uh, Thursday night and into Friday um, when we were doing this race, it's like around Coronado Island. And every time we would come in, because everyone loves boat crew one, the big guys, big, strong guys, they're faster. They're what we were smoking them. And every time we would paddle out, we would do a race. We'd come back in. What boat crew is this? Boat crew three. And it just happened. Like the whole, like finally they're like, oh, you guys are putting out. You guys wait. Because when I got into the boat crew, no one in the boat crew was an exceptional, exceptional performer. No one was like a superstar athlete in any, we were all just regular guys, but we had this uncommon desire to win. Didn't matter if there was, you know, if we're like going to chow, we're going to eat. And there was a gap between the boat that was in front of us and the boat that was in front of them. We would pass them and fill in that gap. And every time there was a gap, we would make our we're way to the front. Yeah. It didn't matter if we were going to chow or we're racing to see if we're going to like sit out on the next race. Everything was a race and we chose to be awesome. We chose to win 100% of the time. And it was not a spoken thing. It was just like this group of people that I decided I wanted to surround myself with. I'm like, yeah, I got to put out, I got to work harder. And me being surrounded by people, a group that was willing to work harder than everyone else. I got stronger. I got better. I got faster. I changed my mindset because I surrounded myself by true winners, guys who wanted to win. And yeah. there were times where I felt, you know, super bad for myself, super sorry. I'm like, I, you know, my, my, my stomach hurts. My lungs are on fire. My legs, I can't hardly keep up. But if I slow down, I'm going to slow down the boat crew and letting the team down. And so we, every one of us had that sort of internal dialogue. And so we just kept going, like pushing through it. Eventually you get over feeling sorry for yourself and you've, you kind of get that second wind, I guess. And then you just start pushing through it, but you got to be willing to push through it and grind through it. It's pretty cool that you talk about how it sort of was an unspoken thing. It, it's not like you guys had like a captain's meeting and we're all going to go sit in the locker room. We're going to talk about, this is going to be our strategy no. for the next you know, no. month or whatever. Like you just kind of got into it. You got yep. to getting after it and, and you just kept going. There's yeah. something pretty, pretty, uh, pretty. It was, it was very, and, and again, you know, and like, it's funny, like I don't even remember all the names of the guys in my hell week boat crew. And that's sort of unheard of for a lot of people, mm -hmm. a lot of classes. They're like, yeah, I know everyone. We're like best friends, la, la, la. One of the guys didn't graduate from my Hell Week boat crew. Didn't even graduate. Like made it to third phase and, and got kicked out for, I, I think he was a case of mistaken identity, but uh, that's a whole nother story. Wow. But, uh, um, but yeah. And, and so, so it's interesting. So I got rolled out of that class. Um, and then in second phase, guys got rolled, like most of the guys in that same boat crew got rolled out because of this thing called, which I think is harder than, than, than hell week is called pool comp. And it's like kind of like underwater jujitsu and you have to do these procedures exactly right. And maintain your, your calm where you're like, you have this like double hose regulator going back to twin eighties and you're, you know, kind of crawling across the bottom of the pool and the instructors come down and they like rip your, in a your, huge knot. 
right? Yeah, they tie it in a big knot, and like you have like you have certain knots, and you have to you have exact procedures. You have to follow procedures exactly, or, or you fail. else you fail. Or else you fail. Yeah. And so a lot of the guys failed in in class two zero seven and got rolled back into two zero eight. So now we've you know fast forward a little bit. We're about halfway through second phase through dive phase, and apparently we screwed up a lot. We made some mistakes. Instructors are like, "We're going to hammer you. You think you're here? You're it's easy going." And so, and I, a buddy um, in class 205, they did the same thing. So every now and then they just like roll out the red carpet and, and hand you a, a little extra hammer. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so what they did is they're like, okay, you guys were canceling the dive today. You go get your sea bags, which is just a large duffel bag that you wear on your back. Get your mask and your hat and uh, go get those boats from first phase. And we're going to the demo pits, which is about a, two, a mile and a half down the road. And so they broke out the boats and they just hammered the dog snot out of us. You know, we filled our, you know, our, our, our uh, sea bags with sand. We had to wear them on our back. We had to wear our mask on our face. And don't you dare let the sweat out of that mask because it was like filling up with, with water. Jeez. And it's like burning your eyes, like yeah. the sweat in there. And, and you're doing push-ups and you're running with the boat on your head again. And eventually about, you know, this was about a two, three hour hammer session. Like I'd say probably like 20 minutes into it, all of us that were in that original boat crew that were rolled back into 208, we found one another and we ejected people who were not performing. <laughs> and then we started eating. winning the races again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was interesting to be like, oh, wait, I, wait, hold on. We were together. And it was probably four or five of us uh, of the seven that uh, came together and we just started winning because we just had that different mindset of like knowing how to not quit, how to push through the pain and, and, and grind it out and work together as a team really yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. It's and a, a high-performing team. Yeah, for sure. It's a four-year journey from ink and paper to go into the Navy to just get to training. It's a longer process because of injuries and rolling from class to class. So when you finally are through, you're a team guy, you are a Navy SEAL, th th that goal has been accomplished. Was no. it what you, <laughs> or what no. happened there? What, yeah. It wasn't. So, so now there's a pipeline. So you go through SEAL training and then you go to what they call SEAL tactical training. Um, or SEAL SQT, SEAL qualification training, where you go to Kodiak, Alaska, learn some land navigation, some other stuff. You, they, you know, have contracted air, so you learn how to jump out of airplanes. Uh, then they do all this land warfare stuff, and then they have the big graduation where you get your trident and all that other stuff. That was not true for me when I went through. Uh, so I graduated, no trident. I'm just a whatever. I'm a graduate. I've graduated SEAL training. I get to then I go to army jump school where we learn how to fall down for three weeks. It is not sexy. It's not, you literally learn how to fall down for three weeks. They have these sand uh, sawdust pits that are covered. And this was in, I don't know. Um, I think I was there in early spring. So it was starting to get hot and humid in, in Georgia and you would draw a circle in the sawdust and then you would jump forward and then fall down, fall down forward. And then you stand back up and get back in that sawdust and jump forward and fall down to the, to the right. And then you jump backwards to the left and fall down. And so then you like got on a little, like you learned, like, I'm not kidding. You learned how yeah. to fall down for three yeah. weeks before they let you jump out of an airplane. Uh, then you show up to the team, no trident still, you're a new guy. 
and uh, you go through SEAL tactical training where you learn like actual tactics on, on how to be a SEAL. Then you join a platoon and then you're on probation for about a year until they are comfortable with you. You're going through this entire, you know, the, all these blocks of training before you deploy. And then they um, have a Trident board. And a Trident board is, you know, it's a room where you, you have to know everything about being a SEAL. You have to know how to load crypto. You have to know how to like program radios. You have to know how to disassemble and reassemble every weapon. You need to know your points of performance. You need to know everything about air operations. You know, your, your seven points of performance for shooting. You have to know, you know, land nav. You have to plot things on maps. You have to plan a dive. You have to do all of these things that are expected of every SEAL. And you have to do it flawlessly under tremendous amount of pressure. And so if you pass that, you get to, they award you your trident. If you fail it, you get one more chance. And if you don't pass it, then you go to the fleet. Even though you graduated SEAL training, you didn't make it, you didn't like, you didn't meet the standard. And so that was my path. The path today is a little bit, I'm not saying it's easier or harder. It's just a little bit different. You get your trident up front. But, you know, when I was in leadership roles in the team, when that started happening, guys that went through the old school method, they were like, oh, no, no. Yeah, you got your trident. But at the end of this workup, you're still a new guy. You still don't know anything. At the end of this workup, before we deploy, we're going to have a trident board and mm -hmm. it's going to suck. And if you don't perform, then we're actually going to not allow you to wear your trident and you lose respect in the, in the team, uh, in the platoon that you're in, if you don't yeah. perform at those levels. And so we, I, in one platoon, there was a guy who he made some mistakes and he, and he bombed, he totally failed his trident board and guys did not want to deploy with him, lost all kinds of trust. He eventually won the trust back and uh, they, they reboarded him while we were on deployment. Uh, we went to Iraq for four and a half months, and then we finished out the deployment in Germany for six weeks. Uh, and while we were in Germany, they they did a new board, and then a, we awarded him his trident. So incredible! He had to earn yeah. he had to earn it back, but he made some big mistakes, and he was on the verge of being, you know, kind of shit can from the military, yeah, from, we, from, the, mean, from the SEAL teams. When you guys are tasked with the responsibility of what you have to do and what you have to do together. I mean, that's a critically important piece of all that. That simple trust, word trust of trust. is kind of a big deal. Right? Yeah. 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 yeah, there's no doubt about that. Dude, there's a lot that happens. We could talk a lot about more about this, but I do want to talk about what ultimately happens throughout all that and what leads you to Naked Warrior Recovery. But, man, sniper instructor, you're part of this undersea, undersea ops that I think, like, the president has to approve for some of Right, that. yeah. So there, there are some, some, some operations that, are of such strategic importance. And you know, mm -hmm. there's probably a, a misnomer out there where people think that the president approves everything. The president doesn't really even know a lot of what's going on. And you know, and it doesn't, I'm not speaking to one specific president over no, of another. Of course not. I mean, what, how's he supposed to, oh, you can't. Right, because there's like run the country and do all this other stuff. Um, but you know, while we're in combat, you know, missions are approved at like the 05, sure. 05 level, which is, you know, pretty low in the, in the grand scheme of things. But some of these missions, they were, they had to be approved by the president of the United States just because of the strategic importance and, uh, and maybe locations that mm -hmm. they took place in. You know, if we failed that mission, then you see, you know, my face on CNN and not in a good way. So that's yeah. a bad, yeah. so just so that they, we understood the the implications of failure. Um, and, you know, hey, if something goes sideways and, you know, you, you know kind of what's going on. 
Yeah. Are, no. are there are there any of those that you can tell me about? So like I think of like getting Bin Laden, right? Like that's one right. that everybody knows is like the president. Yeah, that was clearly approval, a presidential, yeah. Right, presidential, presidential approval, we're yeah. going to are there any other ones out there, things that you were a part of? I mean, if you can't talk about it, it's totally cool and I get it. There were there were some there's some stuff out there, but I yeah, for sure can't even I can't even hint in the right direction. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Let's just say that it has something to do with it with the water. Gotcha. Excellent. Thank you, man. Uh so so that's incredible, man. And, and it's a 26-year journey. I'm not trying to skip over all yeah, of nope. it because there's just so much to there's it. A, there's a lot to unpack. So there yeah. is a lot, but ultimately a lot of it ends up in things like migraines, anxiety, chronic yep. pain that lead you to the next phase of your life. Before we do that, um, being a sniper instructor, can you yep. tell me a little bit about that experience? And then we're going to talk about sort of phase two of, of your life. So I think as a sniper, uh, lessons that I learned as a sniper instructor were... I thought I was pretty good at being a sniper until I went to go teach the course. And when I went to teach the course, there were a couple uh, classes that I did not want to teach because I knew that I was weak in those areas. And I showed up and one of those was range estimation. And uh, I showed up and they're like, we want you to teach range estimation. And I was like, come on, that's like the thing I hate the most. And um, so what I had to do is I had to really become an expert in that field. Because if you're in front of 22 guys, type A personality, who if you make a mistake, they're going to eat you for lunch. You do not want to lose credibility in front of those guys. And so I had to really have become an expert and, and be, be uh, create some mastery in this. And then I had to learn how to explain it and teach it at a very basic level. You know, it's, it's a kind of a hard, complicated concept and, and it has, you know, some math and some other stuff in there. And, and so I had to, I had to figure out how to teach it at a level where I could understand it. So if I can understand it completely, then I can explain it. So I had to really learn it again and learn it well, and then transition it into very basic language, because if it gets too complicated, like, you know, they, they say, keep it simple, stupid for a reason, because when it gets too complicated, you don't remember it. So I had to find a way to uh, explain things at a very basic, simple level, even though they're complex uh, tasks or ideas. So learning how to do that was, was uh, a whole new skill set altogether. Yeah, for sure. Uh, were there ever any moments or was there a moment in your time in active duty, whether it's as a sniper in a combat zone, where the weight of the moment over felt almost felt overwhelming. I would say, I mean, clearly 9-11 was, was a big deal, but you know, losing friends right there next mm -hmm. to you is, is uh, it's not overwhelming right away. It's overwhelming later. Yeah. And so that's part of the second part of, of our conversation and what you're doing through Naked Warrior Recovery, because- right. We can see if you've been physically wounded. You can even tell me my neck hurts, my shoulders, my body hurts. But the weight of that overwhelming moment in losing guys, your friends, is what, what also adds to anxiety, sleepless nights, chronic pain for you and your fellow warriors. So tell right. me about retiring and how quickly you knew, I want to do something to not just help myself, but help my brothers and sisters through this post-military career recovery? 
So when I retired, I kind of had a plan, but I didn't really have a good plan and I didn't practice the plan. And some of the things I teach now is, you know, uh, you know, military mission planning for life transitions and anything can be a life transition. It can be, you know, getting married, getting divorced, uh, having a child, buying a house, getting a job, getting fired from a job. All these things are life transitions, a death in the family. And sometimes we're prepared for them and sometimes we're not. But if we have a, some sort of a plan in place, we, we can choose to execute it very violently and be potentially successful or not, but we learn lessons along the way. But when I transitioned from, from the military to civilian life, I still say that that is the hardest military mission that I've ever been on. And I've been on a few because I went from having, you know, knowing everything, having a badass mission from, with a badass team. And I had purpose in my life. Every day I woke up, I knew what I was going to do. I knew my purpose. I knew my mission. I knew my team. When I retired, and I use air quotes with retire because you don't really retire, um, I didn't have that anymore. I lost everything. I lost, it was like, you know, losing like a, a whole entire family, mm -hmm. entire support system, entire everything. And, you know, people that you can rely on, people that are pushing you. And so I kind of fell into this sort of dark place. And, it, and you know, I call it, you know, baggage where I've got baggage from my, you know, my military career. I've got baggage from toxic relationships. Potentially the toxic relationships are worse than, you know, things that I, you know, compartmentalize over my military career and, um, and no coping skills really to deal with it. So what I was doing is I was, you know, uh, drinking myself to sleep pretty much every night. Self-medicating. And uh, right. A hundred percent, because I have all this noise in my head that I can't control. I can't turn off, you know, I'm driving somewhere and like, I'm having these arguments in my head or, or whatever. And I'm like, just getting super pissed off for no, for no reason. There's nothing yeah. there. It's just whatever's in my brain. And, you know, the same thing happens at night. I'm like, you know, getting ready to go to bed. I'm like, Oh, I'll just have another drink. Oh, one more. Oh. And then pretty soon, like to turn that noise off. And then I, you know, eventually pass out after a lot of, you know, alcohol consumption. And, uh, I had heard about CBD, uh, actually Ray gave me my first bottle of, of CBD who you recently had mm -hmm. on the podcast. Yep. And, um, and I don't know that I noticed anything right away, but what I did notice over time is that my fuse became longer. And what I mean by that is, you know, I like to say water boils at 212 degrees. I was probably living at 210 degrees and yeah. over time, you know, over like a 30 day period, I went from like 210 to 205 to 200 to 195 to 190. Mm -hmm. So I got out of that red zone and like more into like an orange zone. And so when these triggers would hit me, it just took me longer to hit that boiling point. And so the other thing that I noticed is it helped with, you know, I'm, I'm hundred percent disabled. I've got, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff wrong with me. I noticed that some of the pains in my body were not as bad. They were not as sharp. The, the migraines were not as, as debilitating. Mm -hmm. And so as you know, I ran out and I started getting closer to that boiling point again, I started, you know, um, some of those pains are, are getting worse again. So I tried another, you know, CBD brand. I had similar results. Then I was at a, at a business conference and I met someone in the industry and she was like, well, you know, why don't you start your own CBD company? Because I'm like super interested in it. Uh, and she's like, well, why don't you start your own CBD company? I was like, I don't know how to do that. She was like, you're, you're a Navy SEAL. Go figure it out. Go figure like, it out. Oh, right. my God. May I have my man card back, please? <laughs> Ma'am. 
And so, uh, you know, she explained a little bit more about the industry than I just like did a deep dive. I started studying and figuring it out. And I found out that most uh, products on the market are, are either there. It's a dirty industry still. Yeah, uh, it's starting yeah, to garbage, clean up. Yep. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, the FDA has done a ton of uh, spot checks and they found that more than 70 percent of the companies either don't have CBD in their product. They have high levels, illegal, illegal, federally illegal levels of THC, THC in the product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have. um uh, you know, heavy metals, arsenic, lead, uh, um, you're doing more harm than good. Really. You might feel. Yeah. So if you're putting something in your body, that's supposed to be a, a medicine you're in, you don't want to be putting a bunch of poisons in there. So, uh, it's because hemp is a bioaccumulator and it pulls all the good stuff out of the soil, but also the bad stuff, you know, it's such a powerful bioaccumulator. They're using it, uh, hemp at Chernobyl to clean the radiation out of the soil so they can maybe go back and repopulate that area someday. So, you know, I've, so what I did is I went out and I found, you know, suppliers that had the highest quality product and you know they were producing the highest quality you know uh ethical products and i partnered with them and and started naked warrior recovery but as i'm like you know i going back to that that sort of business conference where i met this girl in the in the in the cbd industry um they talked about you know you can't just like you can start something but you need to have a purpose you need to have a reason for starting your, your company, your business. And so I had to, I looked at myself, they're like, what is your why? Mm -hmm. And so I looked at myself and I was like, well, this, this modality has helped me like turn down the noise. It helps me with, you know, pain and, and other things so that I could have better self-talk. And so I looked at my, my why, my why was, well, I'm, I'm a veteran and I, you know, you know, of note, one of those 22 a day is my dad. So my dad took his own life actually right after I graduated from SEAL training. Um, so it's, it's very personal to me and I've lost many teammates that have gotten out and then, you know, eventually taken their own life. Mm -hmm. And some of that is a loss of purpose. Some of that is, you know, you, you, that those compartmentalized things that you're going through, they seep out. And, um, and so my purpose, you know, I, I found that that uh, that metric of, you know, 22 veterans take their lives every single day. And I was like, we have to fix that. That's unacceptable. You know, we've lost more veterans to suicide than we have in 20 years of sustained combat. That is that is absolutely unacceptable. Right. So um, so that became our mission. Our mission is 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 22 to zero. You know, and someone asked me once upon a time, how do you how do you define success? It was like making that number smaller, what, however, right. however right. much we can make that number smaller is that's, that's what we're going to do. And, you know, to kind of talk about the name a little bit, you know, getting naked or the naked warrior is, uh, I saw the get naked on my shirt, but th- the naked warrior is, you know, it's about, it is about getting naked. It's about, you know, taking your ego off and setting it into the corner and being a little bit, you know, vulnerable, a little bit exposed. Um, and kind of the analogy that I use for that is in the SEAL teams, when we go into harm's way, when we go into combat, we put our armor on to protect us and we go in our, we do our job. And when we finish, we come back, we take our armor off, we hit the showers, we clean up, we debrief, we get ready for the next mission. We don't do that in life. In life, we end up, you know, maybe we go into combat air quotes here. And it's something that happens in, in our job that like kind of sets us off. And now we're Mm -hmm. like on the defensive, maybe something in a relationship that sets us on, you know, on the defensive, something that happened. And it can be a lot of things 
happening to us. And now we're always on the defensive, whether it's like something in the media, something on social media, something in your personal life. You got shit you know, flying at you all the time, right? There's stuff all the, time. all the time. I mean, all the time, you know, it's not like when, when, when we were growing up, we, you know, with four channels on TV and certainly mm -hmm. no internet, uh, there's just like stuff flying all the time. And, and, you know, pain is cumulative. If I tap you in the arm, you know, you're going to be like, that's not a big deal. But if I do this for an hour, it's going to start to like, you really bug you. And if I do it for a week, you know, it's going to be very, very painful. And it's going to be a very deep bruise. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe I only now you've got that deep bruise, you've got that that damage. And I come by and I just tap you every now and then. It's just a tap on the arm. But it breaks you down. And you're like, Oh, my God, that hurt. don't ever do that again. And so we end up being in this world. And this is kind of like, it's, it's veterans and first responders and, and really everyone else in life. You know, we, we go through this, where this life where we've been attacked over and over and over and, you know, people are, and then the next time someone just taps you in the arm, it could be an email. It can be a text message. It could be someone looked at you funny or said a snarky comment. And it just like, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And you're like, ah, and so, but we're always wearing this, this bag, this armor, this baggage, this ego to kind of protect us from that. And mm -hmm. it weighs us down. And until we learn how to take that off, find, you know, uh, you know, clean out that wound, maybe, you know, find a little bit of vulnerability and, and, you know, look for that healing process. And, you know, CBD was one of those things that it was the modality that helped me turn down the noise in my head. Mm -hmm. And then after I was able to turn that noise down, I was able to have positive self-talk and figure out like what I'm going to do with my life and how to start a CBD company and what my purpose was. Now I've got a new mission and now I've got to build a new team and, but I have purpose and mission. And so that was part of it. And part of that was, you know, coming up with the get naked mindset, you know, yep. once you, once you turn down that noise and you have that positive self-talk, you know, and, and you learn to like set that ego aside, it's not easy. It's very difficult to do, but, you know, get naked, you know, is, is an acronym that I, that I talk about. And, and the, and it goes like this, the N is for never quit. The A is accept failure. The K is to kill mediocrity. The E is expose your fears and the D is do the work. And, and I could go into each one of those and kind of talk about what they mean, but really it's about changing your mindset. And once you're able to change your mindset, you don't need your ego to protect you. You have, you have you, you, once you change how you think about things, no one can hurt you anymore. No one, like, yeah. it doesn't matter how many times they try to tap you. I have this invisible barrier that I don't have to like, I don't have to hold up anymore. It's just around me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's powerful, man. I was going to, I'm glad you brought it up because I want to dig into the acronym. Um, let's just tackle the D right on this one, okay. right? The okay. do the work because right. what, what can't happen is just snap your finger and right. I'm good. I have good. All these things are going to happen. You've got to be willing to mm -hmm. do it. And I think one of the things we've talked about a lot on this show with multiple guests is there's been a lot of stories about doing the work, even if that's yep. incremental things, right? Everybody yep. gets all overwhelmed about, you know, I'm going to lose 60 pounds or I'm going to gain all this muscle mass. Well, none of that happens if you don't do day one of the work, right? right? 100%. And that, I mean, and really do the work, it encompasses everything else. Mm -hmm. But and I say this about CBD also, CBD is not a magic pill. CBD is a modality. CBD yeah. doesn't cure cancer or anything else, but what it does do, it does reduce chronic inflammation. It does help uh, reduce some stress and anxiety. I don't know the, the mechanical 
uh, ways that it does it, but it also, it supports your endocannabinoid system, which is a giant neuroreceptor system that's connected to every other system in your body from your, your central nervous system, your endocrine system, your digestive system, your immune system, it's connected to everything. So if one thing is out of balance, then that can pull everything else out of balance through that endocannabinoid system. And you make endogenous cannabinoids, but sometimes you don't make enough, you need more. And so that's why CBD is like, I call it the super multivitamin. It's yeah, not a magic yeah. pill. You got to take it. It's like, it's not one and done. You have to take it over and over to until your body gets back into homeostasis. And that's part of doing the work also. And when I say do the work, I'm not looking for instant gratification because we're stuck in this world of instant gratification where we think like, you know, we got, we got, uh, Amazon where you can just hit a button on your phone and it have ice cream delivered today. to your house. <laughs> yeah. Today. Like 30 minutes, 30 minutes or less, you know, yeah. uh, Domino's pizza or whatever, whatever the thing is. And we've forgotten how to actually do the work and grind through something because we, you know, we have this dopamine effect of like instant gratification from YouTube or whatever Netflix. I can watch anything I want. I don't have to worry about mm -hmm. commercials or anything else. And so we've, we've lost, we've lost that as a, as a society. I think uh, technology is awesome, but it also has made us weaker when we completely depend on it. Yeah. And so uh, doing the work is really, and, and I didn't always have this mindset, honestly, you so, know, when I graduated, yeah. when I graduated SEAL training, I was like, dude, I've graduated the hardest military training in the world. It's going to be easy from here. But when I showed up and they're like, okay, so um, we'll see. So I showed up at the SEAL team and I was in for a little bit of a rude awakening because I was like, this is really hard. I have to like work hard. And they, in the SEAL team, they don't care your rank, your age, your weight. They don't care anything about you other than are you going to work harder today than you did yesterday? And that's why they say the only easy day was yesterday because you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but I guarantee you before it became an empire, it was built every single day. And so that's the mindset that we have to have. That was the mindset in the SEAL teams. And it didn't matter. Like the commanding officer to the most junior guy, everyone was held accountable by one another. And so you could show up and not feel like doing it. You still had to do it. And if you didn't do it, you were going to be held accountable. You were either going to be, you know, counseled or made fun of, or, you know, trained uh, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Uh, not uh -huh. to give too much away there, but uh -huh. you're, you're expected to perform better. It doesn't matter if it's like the smallest percent, this, you know, point zero, 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 one better. You better not perform better, worse than you did yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Great perspective. Uh, tell us a little bit where folks can find out more. Right. And, and so, so, I mean, send me your info, right? Like, tell us your info. Where can they get more about it? Where can they find out more about it? Where can they buy so, All that good stuff. So for the kind of like, just to kind of get the, the get naked mindset, and, and we didn't talk about it too much today, but if, if you want a copy of it, uh, I, I'm sending it out for free. It's about an eight page PDF. It's got some cool pictures in there. Love it. Go to the website, five, the number five, sealsecrets.com, five sealsecrets.com. Just put your name and email in there and I will email the, uh, the, this document to you. It'll be from a Google drive. So I'm not like clogging your inbox. Mm -hmm. So you can just, uh, download that from, from Google drive and, and just to kind of give you some, some ideas of how it's impacted other people's life. I shared this with a friend of mine who's in the outdoor apparel industry and, uh, that company just got a bunch of VC money and he's in the design department and he's the lead designer. And he's gotten a bunch of pressure from his CEO to, you know, crank out more stuff and things like that. And I guess something happened in a public forum. And then he had a meeting with the CEO 
the day after I spoke with him and I shared this document with him and uh, the, you know, the E is for exposure fears. And he read over it and he printed it out and he put it up in his, in his house. And when he went in the next day to talk to his CEO, he said, Hey, listen, like, I know you're under pressure, but I can't have you talking to me like this and doing these things because I'm afraid I can't perform for you. Mm -hmm. And his CEO was like taken back completely. Like, what are you saying? Like, first of all, why are you saying you're scared? You're afraid. Uh, and uh, why are you being honest with me? Because no one does that ever. And so he's like, listen, my buddy, he shared this document with me, these five steel secrets. And, you know, he's talked about exposing your fears. I'm telling you, I'm afraid that I will not be able to perform for you at the level you want if you treat me like that in front of people again. And the CEO was like, oh, uh, got it. And they worked out whatever they needed to work out. And then he was like, can you share that document with me? And they shared it with other people in the company. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, changing um, company culture is, you know, we're going down that road. And so you can go to, again, fivesealsecrets.com to, you know, download your, your copy of that. On the CBD side, uh, you can find me at nw-recovery.com, nw for naked warrior, dash recovery.com, or you can type in naked warrior recovery, all one word, but I made it nw because maybe people don't want to write uh, naked mm -hmm. in their search engine. I don't, I don't, I don't know why, but nw-recovery.com. Clear the browser history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, and you can find me on Instagram at, uh, naked warrior recovery, all one word. Yeah, all things worth following. All right, before we go, I got to ask you one more SEAL question and a sniper question. Send it. Because I'm doing some math in my head. I'm trying to figure out some things. How hard is it on one sea vessel to sniper a bad guy on another sea vessel who has maybe pirated that ship if and, has, if and has a bunch of people that he's taken hostage? If he's not that far away, it's not that big a deal. If it's uh, like cal calm water, yeah. uh, inside of 100 yards, easy. And those shots were pretty close. Gotcha. I was doing a little bit of thinking in my head as we were talking, <laughs> which you might have been a reference to. William, man, I have enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it's been uh, an honor uh, for me to be able to sit here and talk with you. I know our listeners have loved it as well. And just to hear your story, man. And I think it's important for folks to, to hear about, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go in the Navy. I'm going to join the SEALs. All these amazing things are going to happen. Right. Like, remember, hardship, hardship, guys. And what we constantly talk about is, rejoicing in that suffering, taking joy in the journey, right? Like you're talking about taking joy in the journey, do hard stuff. You want to run a marathon, right. go train for it. I promise you running the marathon will be awesome, but you'll remember most the training that got you there. Yeah. Those are the things that I think about, right? When you, when you do something like that, when you do something hard, it's all the stuff that happens during it, during the lead up to it. That is where the real grit and determination come from. And what we know here is because we rejoice in our suffering that gives us some endurance, which gives us some character, which gives us some hope. And then you're able to go out and just go out and crush everything, which is cool. I've loved it, man. 100%. You're welcome here anytime, 100%. my brother. Awesome. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. He is William Branham. Been an amazing conversation. I'm Brian Jodis, and this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.